Hello and welcome to our podcast, Within the Mist, a hidden place where we walk into the dark and clouded unknown. I am your host, Gary, coming out of the box to tell you about the likes of cryptids, ghosts, and other mysteries. I am joined by my swamp wife and co-host, Goldie Ann. Hello, Goldie Ann. Wow, I don't know if I want to be a swamp wife. Aren't you from Louisiana? So? <laughs> Isn't that kind of a parts and parcel of it? Some of it, I guess. Gotcha. Well, with that in mind, Goldie Ann, do you know why the frog was upset when he got back to the swamp? No. Well, it seems his lily pad was towed. I have no words. You never have words. No. Really. <laughs> well, I'm going to keep trying. And in trying, today's episode involves chilling stories about a monster seen jumping out at passing cars from the woods. These may be upsetting to some of our listeners. We are storytellers who have gathered information on some of our favorite mysteries to bring to you. We don't attempt to scare our listeners on purpose. Well, maybe just a little. Listener discretion is always advised. The primary source of information about today's episode is mostly found within the Delmarva news articles, which were written by Ralph Grapperhouse, and the various coverage that occurred afterwards. What's most interesting about this information would be that Grapperhouse had a major role in the legend of the creature he wrote about. So is it true or false? I'm going to let you decide at the end, okay. as usual. Now, there's also a book that covers some of the legends by Andy Nunes entitled Mysteries of the Eastern Shore. A link to the book will be included in our show notes. But first, a word from our sponsor. Welcome back. Since the early 1900s, the locals of Subbyville, Delaware, have told of legends of things that live within the Great Cypress Swamp. It has been a place of fear and mystery since the very first settlers arrived. In 1964, those same legends would reach a fever pitch when reports of encounters with a large, man-sized creature covered in shaggy fur and carrying a club began <laughs> leaping from the shadows at passing cars. Oh boy. The creature terrorized the residents and became a headline for the local and national newspapers, even having photographs posted on the front page. So join us today as we go within the mist and discover the secrets of the Subbyville Swamp Monster. I mean, I keep thinking, you know, somebody dressed up as, you know, a swamp creature with a club and going after cars. Teenager. A teenager? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Sounds like something a teenager would do. Well, let's find out. Okay, sounds like something I would have done. You would have done? Um, probably. I can't imagine you dressing up as a monster, hiding in the swamps, and then jumping out at people. Okay, you do know me, right? Yeah, and I know that you would get terrified. Oh, if I was in the swamp? Yeah, I would be in the swamp, yeah. Snakes? True. True. That's, that's the only part that's fictional about that. Gotcha. All right. Chapter 1. Burnt Swamp. Shelbyville, which I'm pronouncing as it's spelled, is actually pronounced Subbyville by the locals. And it is a neighboring town right on the southernmost portion of Delaware. It has a sprawling swamp called the Great Cypress Swamp, the state's largest contiguous forest that once covered 50,000 acres. 
According to locals, the swamp is so large and so vast that it stretched for hundreds of miles in the south of Delaware and bewildering those people are often lost and reported missing every year. It also has a much more colorful name for the locals who live nearby, the Burnt Swamp. It has been untouched by human activity for centuries, home to thousands of species of birds and animals, and also for its fair share of wild rumors about what lurks in its depths. But during Prohibition, this area also became the haven for bootleggers as they used the swamp as a hiding place to set up their stills and make moonshine. Hmm. I said, yeah, buddy. <laughs> now, some believe that when one of these illicit stills exploded, it started the fire that would consume thousands of acres from 1929 to 1930. It was that long? What had happened was that when summer rolled around in 1929, it had months and months without rain. The swamp floor was covered in peat, which kept the area even drier and drier with each passing day. Then one night, one of the improperly cared for moonshine stills exploded and ignited what became known as the Great Fire. This giant blaze tore across hundreds of miles, despite the efforts of the local fire brigade. The fire burned for eight long months before finally being extinguished and it left behind a charred wasteland that would take years to recover. Jeez. So yes, it was an eight month long fire. That's horrible. It very much was. And it was during, you know, right at the beginning of 1930. So fire fighting wasn't what it was today. Now, while the fire was undoubtedly a tragedy, it left its mark on history. The fire became an important event in Delaware's history and was even the subject of a song called The Burnt Swamp of Delaware by country singer Woody Guthrie. In addition, the vast boggy land is now home to the paranormal. Since the early 1900s, residents near the Great Cypress Swamp in Subbyville have made claims that have been as colorful as they are outlandish. One of the most famous stories occurred in the 1920s. Two raccoon hunters walked through the Big Cypress Swamp, listening to their hounds' excited panting. Suddenly, the dogs stopped and all went silent. The two men exchanged a glance before hearing a loud, guttural scream that filled the air and seemed to come from everywhere at once. The hunters had no idea what they were hearing, but whatever it was, it was getting closer and closer. They knew they were not alone in the darkness of the swamp. Not daring to move even an inch, the men waited for an eternity. Panic began to rise inside them as they tried desperately to peer into the darkness, but saw nothing. And then the screaming moved closer as something significant crashed through the thicket of trees and underbrush behind them. It was a banshee! Sorry. This is in Ireland. Oh, shit. Wrong country. In this country, the enormous dark shadow of it froze them in their tracks, and they began to back away as it continued its pursuit until they reached the road and the awaiting safety of the truck they had parked alongside. The use of the name of the Subbyville Swamp Monster legend dates back to the 1930 fire 
Stories like this continued through the 1920s, but the use of the name of the Subbyville Swamp Monster legend dates to the 1930 fire. The story of this mysterious creature haunting the edge of the Great Cypress Swamp continues to gain traction as times pass. Locals credited the animal with causing a few more fires in the same area, but no one could prove that the creature was real. Whatever it was, it had an affinity for those who perished in the Great Fire of 1930. Many believed it was not a creature from our world, but a spirit from another realm or dimension. The original tale goes that the old shingle maker who died in the Great Fire now haunts the swamp's edge, looking for more victims and trying to draw them back into his dark world. Well, that doesn't make any sense. He got killed in a fire, so, became, so he naturally became evil? Okay, some people who die tragically want revenge. Or maybe the pain of being burned alive was enough to drive him insane. Hmm. I... I'm not a psychiatrist of uh, paranormal, so I'm not a ghost shrink. I have to go with what the stories say. Not all accounts agree on what this spirit even looks like. Some say he appears as a large black figure, while others believe him to be more manlike, with long flowing white hair and eyes that glowed red. No matter what form he assumes, one thing is sure, those who are said to cross this path are seldom seen again. Despite the mysterious nature of the creature from the 1930s and the many tales attributed to him, no one had ever captured tangible proof of it. This beast, better known as the burnt swamp monster of the time, had been accused of stealing livestock, cats, and even frightening hunters. Accounts of its features are not always alike, some telling of a two-legged animal covered in fur while others make it sound more like a ghost. Regardless, the locals remained vigilant and kept their distance from the swamp's edge, not daring to tempt fate by venturing too close to the creature's home. Locals began to claim that they even seen things moving around in the swamp late at night. No one could ever explain what these things were, but some said they could hear wailing or moaning coming from within the swampland depths. This only added fuel to the fire of hysteria surrounding the mysterious creature. Sightings persisted throughout the decades from the 1930s, and these stories were passed down in whispered voices around campfires, generation after generation. Two young men were among those who were raised listening to the ghost stories of the burnt swamp, Fred Stevens and Ralph Grapperhouse. And so he wrote a book that we can buy today? Who wrote a book? Grapper House. No, I will tell you what exactly he did. Oh, okay. Chapter 2, A Plan for a Monster. In 1964, having grown up hearing tales of the swamp monster, Fred Grapper House had an idea. He had a plan to bring attention to Subbyville Del Mar of News. As the newspaper's circulation and advertising revenues had steadily declined for years, he needed to create a local sensation to bring in more readers. He knew he had to think of something that would capture the imagination of his readers. After scouring through decades of reports and tales about the mysterious swamp creature, Grapperhouse concocted a brilliant idea. 
He would lure people into believing that a Bigfoot-like monster was running around in their area. He shared his plan with his friend, 21-year-old Fred Stevens. So not quite a teenager, but uh -huh. we're close. <laughs> Fred was hesitant initially, but Ralph was persuasive and eventually convinced them to run with it. With his friend's encouragement, Fred created a swamp monster costume. <laughs> Using his Aunt Dorothy's raccoon fur coat, a scary mask, and a club with a stake driven through it. A raccoon fur coat. I've never seen a raccoon fur coat before. That seems nasty. That's probably why the ant gave it away. <laughs> now everything was done with newspaper sales in mind. Stevens would hide in the shadows of the woods and then jump out at passing cars along the areas of Cypress Road, Route 54. The plan worked perfectly and word spread rapidly and soon everyone in the town was alert for actual sightings of the burnt swamp monster. Grabber House even rechristened the monster as the Subbyville Swamp Monster. Must not be no rednecks up in that area or they would have been shot by now. This is Delaware, but keep on to that thought. Uh-oh. Mm-hmm. little foreshadowing for you. Speaking of shadows, Stevens would crouch in the shadows night after night with the summer moonlight glinting off the mask's beady eyes. He hid deep in the cypress swamp along a muddy road leading through the darkest areas outside of town. Dressed to resemble the monster, he held a bat with a large railroad spike embedded in its end so that when cars approached, he would step out into the road illuminated by their headlights. Most motorists would shriek and quickly reverse, pulling out of sight. A very few brave souls would inch forward slowly until they were face to face with Stevens in his most frightening performance, grunting, screaming, jumping up into the air. Then they, too, would turn tail and disappear back down the winding road. Soon enough, Fred had successfully transformed this unlikely beast of the 1920s into an overnight sensation. People's fear began to rise, but so did the sales of Grapper House's Delmara News, <laughs> proving that his ploy had been a success after all. Ralph published stories of local folk tales with a professional smile on his face, pretending that it was all real. It wasn't even long before people started reporting sightings of the Subbyville Swamp Monster on their own. They would tell of Friday nights when most reports seemed to have been made. There would be carloads of giggling high school girls describing a hairy, moaning monster, half man and half animal, staggering around in the moonlights on the edge of the forest. Others who claimed to have heard its woeful moans said that they could see it, too. Some reported seeing glowing eyes in the dark woods or hearing loud crashing noises from behind the bushes. Ralph wrote dozens of stories and added details where they needed to make them more sensational, always with the hint of a possibility that they could be true. Though many skeptics remained unconvinced, Fred was delighted with his plan's response. People were flocking to buy copies of his newspaper and read more stories about the creature's escapades. The Subbyville Swamp Monster had become a full-fledged sensation since the news of its existence spread. 
People from all over Delmarva were searching for this mysterious creature, looking in the woods and the back roads. As weeks went by, more and more evidence seemed to pile up that something strange was happening in Subbyville's cypress swamps. It seemed as if everyone had seen the creature waving its club in the air, but still, no one could prove that this ever-elusive creature truly existed. People from all walks of life discussed it with their friends and family. Some even set out on journeys to find the legendary creature themselves. The Swamp Monster story became so popular that kids growing up in that era became nervous about ever setting foot in the swamp even as grown-ups. Brave teenage boys would try to impress their girlfriends by daring to venture into the swamp at night. But even some of the toughest guys would have difficulty driving through the swamp area without getting spooked and locking their car doors. Brave souls would bring offerings of meat and other foods as gifts to appease the monster, hoping it would pacify him and that he would spare them from harm. It seemed like something out of a horror movie, but Stephen said he enjoyed the attention nonetheless. Of course he did. Well, he was quoted as saying, some people came back and they would throw chickens towards me to feed me, I guess. <laughs> he would remember these stories with a chuckle. There was a whole mess of blood and chickens, which was quite humorous and good. Took them home and cooked them. I don't think I would want chicken that's thrown in the middle of a swamp. You don't know that? I'm not from Louisiana. I know that. Oh, my God. Now, public... Easy now. Public interest grew exponentially as the news of the Subbyville Swamp Monster spread. Every newspaper began running stories on sightings and even printing photos that passerbyers had taken, trying to prove the existence of the creature, even if the photos were always of poor quality taken in the dark. <laughs> Sounds familiar. Big kind bit. of standard. Regional radio and TV stations were broadcasting live interviews with witnesses who had seen the mysterious creature. It wasn't long before a Subbyville Swamp Monster photo made the Delmarva News front page on April 23rd of 1964. Local law enforcement also got involved, but they needed help getting leads on the monster's identity and the whereabouts, the site, setting up traps in various spots around town. They could never seem to find the right time and the right location to catch the swamp monster. <laughs> of course not. Probably considering that they were probably passing out this information to the newspaper who so, was probably passing it on to the swamp monster. I was going to say, yeah, the swamp monster was out there helping them. <laughs> they eventually came to terms with the fact that there was no hard evidence to prove its existence either way. So, they ultimately declared it was a mythical creature and gave up their search efforts. <laughs> Stevens was enjoying all of the attention he was getting as the Swamp Monster. So much so that he decided to become even more involved in the myth. He actively encouraged and promoted hunts for it by suggesting where to look and what type of sightings were possible. He kind of became the expert on tracking of the monster. Oh, is that who? Oh, I get it. <laughs> and I it wasn't. One of those. Huh? Nothing. 
It wasn't long before hunters from all over began making their way to Subbyville, armed with camera equipment and eager to catch a glimpse of the creature. During this time, Fred also started giving interviews, mainly about his experiences living in the swamps for so many years. His accounts of strange nocturnal activities gave people even more reason to believe that something was lurking in those dark woods. In one particular incident, a group of hunters claimed that they had seen a pair of red eyes gleaming behind some tree branches near Subbyville's Tangier Island Road. Although nothing was proven beyond the sightings, folks throughout Delaware continued talking about the mysterious beast and buying up all of the newspapers. <laughs> it seemed like everyone had their own version of what happened during the night. Some say they heard noises coming from inside the swamps, while others swore they saw gigantic lizards slithering past their car windows as they drew through Subbyville late at night. But all good things must come to an end, and no amount of newspaper sales was worth the risk of this unorthodox job. Fred felt an odd sense of power from pranking people because it made him feel good and empowered, but he didn't want anyone to get hurt, including himself. The prank had continued for months until eventually things started to spin out of control. In danger of being exposed as a perpetrator, Stevens feared for his own safety, and he decided this was the last time. Oh no, that doesn't sound good. Well, according to him, we just had to quit because so many people were coming back in pickup trucks and they were all about half drunk, and they were shooting their guns at anything that moved. Somebody will shoot you, and they didn't mean it, so we just quit. I thought the story was going to go in another direction. You know how my luck would go. I'd say, this is my last time, and then I'd go to do it one more time, and I'd die doing it. <laughs> for Luckily for Stevens and Grapper House, yeah. that didn't happen. And in fact... In all the years following their hoax, they kept their secrets safely hidden. The two just went about their lives, never mentioning the Swamp Monster hoax or their involvement. As far as the people of Subbyville knew, it was a, just another monster story. Just kind of left. <clears throat> Went to haunt another location. As these creatures often do. But people did continue talking about the mysterious creature during this time children would tell tales of it camping in the woods, and adults discussed rumors of the extraordinary sightings at night along the road. Chapter 3. Coming Clean None in the state of Delaware was the wiser for the hoax, but 23 years after they pulled off the prank, Fred Stevens finally decided to come clean. He met with a local newspaper reporter during a 1987 interview. Wow. <laughs> Stevens was sure he could handle any repercussions for his actions by now. After all, he was 62 years old and he lived in Subbyville since 1948. Through his button jam. Well, over the years, he'd even grown close to some of the members of the town's community. And he wanted them to know the truth about what had happened all those years ago. He told the reporter everything, from how they made a man-made figure out of rags and ropes, to how they lured hunters into the swamps with stories of spooky sightings at night. 
He had so many stories of wearing the old suit and jumping out at cars from the dark. He was relieved. The truth was out there finally. The grand reveal was when he opened an old box in the garage to pull out the original costume and mask he had used all those years ago. To look upon it in the light of day, it seemed impossible that anyone could have believed it was a real creature. But Stevens nodded his head that he really did fool many people in its day. The hoax was simultaneously shocking and hilarious for everyone who had lived around Subbyville. The town's residents couldn't believe that two grown men had managed to pull off such an elaborate prank for so many years without getting caught. Well, at least they were good about it. Well, I figured it'd be like a witch, a witch hunt. <laughs> well, everyone who is from that time, it's you know, 23 years later, so yeah, they're a lot older and probably a, a lot different attitudes. I mean, everyone knew and could have a good laugh about it now, especially Fred, who felt relieved that his part in the legendary tale had finally been revealed. Sadly, Fred Stevens passed away in 2021. So you were kind of right about it being a teenager and about, you know, getting hunted. Yeah. Chapter 4, The Legend Continues. Okay. The story of the Subbyville Swamp Monster should have ended when Fred Stevens came clean about his hoax. After all, it had been 23 years since Stevens and Grapper House had created their man-like monster out of raccoon coats. Surely, the people of Subbyville would have put two and two together and realized that what they had seen all those years was a figment of someone's imagination. But strangely enough, sightings of a mysterious creature in the swamps continued to be reported, even after Stevens confessed to pulling off the hoax. <laughs> people claimed to have seen something lurking in the shadows at night, coming from the depths of the Great Cypress Swamp. Whatever it seemed to be, it moved quickly and mysteriously, never staying in one place for too long before disappearing without a trace. And what of the original folklore from the early 1920s that acted as a source for Grapper House's monster? Could the hoax have covered up an actual paranormal creature wandering burnt swamp? Yeah, I forgot about that. As did a lot of the people in the community. The creature existed long before the hoax and continued long after. Ah, good point. Okay. It was as if a true legend of the burnt swamp monster back from the 1920s and 30s was back now that its fake upstart was gone to reclaim the throne of the night for itself. Of course, many believed that these were tall tales from those who wanted to keep the legend of Fred Stevens' Subbyville Swamp Monster alive. Others argued that perhaps there was something unexplained living in those woods, something far beyond Fred's elaborate prank. Some suggested that there might be a more scientific explanation for some residents had experienced. Perhaps it was a rare species of animal living in an isolated patch of swamp or a case of a strange atmospheric phenomenon at play. Whatever it may be, one thing was sure. The Great Cypress Swamp has been around for centuries, unchanged by modern development and pollution. 
Historians speculate that this might be as close as you can get to the present-day Delmarva Peninsula to seeing something that was exactly what appeared when Captain John Smith was exploring the same land in the early 1960s. What he saw back then is what is still there today. So could that be also the same creatures? It is possible that the Subbyville Swamp Monster was not entirely a hoax, but there might be a furtive monster roaming the murky shadows of the Great Cypress Swamp. The Bigfoot Field Research Organization even has reports of eyewitnesses sighting large hairy hominids in southern Delaware, long after the Swamp Monster hoax had ended. Yeah, wouldn't those be two different things, though? <clears throat> in what way? Well, Swamp Swamp Monster and Bigfoot. Okay, we have the Skunk Cape here in Florida. Mm -hmm. He exists in the Everglades, which is basically a giant swamp. Right. So couldn't he be considered a swamp monster? Oh, I guess so. So I'm thinking that the Subbyville Swamp Monster is basically a Bigfoot that just lives in the wetlands of Delaware. So does that kind of make a connection for you? Yeah. Okay. In this case, one eyewitness was meeting up with his brother and a friend during a rainy winter evening in 1998. When they came into the house, both were filled with fear about what they had just seen. The brother told him that his friends and he had emerged from a thick forest of trees, traveling slowly on a rural road at night. The shadows of the woods lay like blankets on either side of them, making it difficult to see what might be lurking in the darkness beyond. Suddenly, in the middle of the street, something appeared 40 to 50 yards ahead of them. It was too far away to make out any particulars. Though, there was something strangely still and ageless about it that made it stand out from the shadows of the night. The tension in the car intensified as everyone held their breath. Their eyes were glued to the shape that remained motionless as they advanced closer to it on the road. Everyone knew that coming across wildlife at night could be dangerous, but this felt different. This felt like something mysterious, something supernatural. As the car cautiously approached, the shadowy figure turned its head towards them. It would seem to be the first time it even recognized their presence. In the moonlight, the boys could see two piercing red eyes staring back at them, and their hearts dropped as they quickly realized that whatever this creature was, it wasn't a friendly one. Before they had time to react, the creature abruptly lurched forward, dropping down to all fours and sprinted away into the darkness of the night. As it ran off, they noticed that it was twice the size of any deer. Once they got to the area where the creature crossed, they stopped the car and looked out of their window. They saw a tall, huge silhouette of a man-like creature with shaggy gray-brown fur covering its entire body. Oh. It just stood there, off on the side of the road, watching them for about 15 seconds as he swung his arms at his side. They were going to get out and say something, but realized with everything that just took place and it being nighttime, curiosity turned into fear. Yo, bro, how you doing? Yeah. How you doing? And he comes chasing him with a club. 
so they fled to the house as fast as possible. In shock, everyone remained still until finally one of them broke the silence by suggesting that maybe this thing was just some kind of wild animal out in search of food and didn't actually mean any harm. Still shaken up from what had just happened though, everyone agreed that it would probably be for the best if they just headed back home as soon as possible. <laughs> the boys started making their way back while keeping an eye on their surroundings in case something like this happened again. When they drove off into the night, no one said a word about what had just occurred. All but strangely aware that there was something mysterious to this encounter that none of them could explain. This was 1998. Yeah. And this was no prank by Stevens and Grapper House. Right. Those two had ended their ruse decades earlier, yet these boys still witnessed something along the road wise. Well, yeah. Decades earlier. Was it? Their ruse was in 1964, 98. But when they came, decades. they came. I thought you meant since they came. No, since their prank ended. Oh, okay. Not since they came out. Okay. No. This was no prank by Stevens and Grapper House. They had ended their prank decades earlier. Yet these boys still witnessed something along the roadways. A Subbyville swamp monster that could not be explained as simply as Fred in a suit. Hmm. So, in closing, Goldie, what do you think? I think that's a pretty cool story. I like <clears throat> it. Reminds me of Bigfoot, a friend. Bigfoot, a friend? Bigfoot, my friend. I didn't realize you and Bigfoot were buddies. Well, you know, got this little thing going. Am I supposed to be jealous? <laughs> sure. Wow. <laughs> That's going to be hard to explain to a divorce attorney. Well, who knows? He might believe in Bigfoot, too. You might not believe in Bigfoot, but he believes in you. <laughs> well, do you believe in the Selbyville Swamp Monsters? I guess the real question. Absolutely. Uh -huh. Well, for those who generally believe in this legend, there always remain an air of mystery and intrigue surrounding Selbyville's infamous monster. Maybe one day we'll uncover a real clue or find physical evidence of its existence. Until then, all we can do is look at the old photographs, listen to the ghost stories, and continue searching through the murky waters of speculation. Despite its initial success as a marketing tool, the stories about the burnt swamp monster continued throughout Subbyville's history. Some still claim that those stories are true, and in contrast, others will only ever think of it as a folklore meant for campfires. To this day, no one knows precisely what lurks in Subbyville swamps at nights. Locals still joke about it now and then, and it has become an ingrained part of the local folklore. It will always remain a mystery, forever tying a hoax by Fred Stevens to the legendary Subbyville Swamp Monster and the town itself. Cool. So should you ever drive along Route 54 in Delaware during the night, keep an extra sharp eye out for something large, something carrying a large club. You may discover the Subbyville Swamp Monster for yourself. Now, before we go, I wanted to remind everyone that we are on social media and love to hear your stories and opinions about the Subbyville Swamp Monster. 
Do you believe that there is a ghostly creature still living within the Great Cypress Swamps of Delaware? You can reach us on our Facebook page, Within the Mist Podcast, and we're also on Instagram and have an email at withinthemistpodcast at gmail.com for any of you who would like to share your stories or opinions. We hope you enjoyed our story of the Subbyville Swamp Monster, and we'll come again for another episode. Until then, remain constantly curious, and goodbye. Bye, guys.